0: Start. be real is presented by california college of the arts mfa in writing program getting an mfa at their art school setting in san francisco means you can paint and write design and write and make a film and write you can also just write look for their faculty member leslie carroll roberts's critically acclaimed here is where i walk episodes from a life in the forest out now from university of nevada press and Adam Nemetz, we can save us all from unnamed press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu slash writing MFA.
1: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal. Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! What is your movie reviewing and reappraising genre hopping podcast for 800 Noah? My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer You're listening to Be Real on the Playlist Podcast Network He's Noah Ballard How are you my friend? A, are you excited? B, are you nervous?
0: C, don't you care? D, it is written.
1: We're here to talk about game show films today on Be Real. As always, we're thrilled to be on the Playlist Podcast Network with shows like The Discourse, Fourth Wall, Indie Beat. Find us wherever you get your shows, Spotify, iTunes, you know, wherever. Um, And thanks to California College of the Arts Writing MFA program for uh, their generous continued support. Thumbs up all over the place, um, but quiz show, the the film. What I'm going to argue is the best film of the 90s. No, I'm not going to argue that. But it is a film of the 90s that turns 25 this month. Uh, more than enough reason for us to hop to the genre of game show movies, which we've uh, somehow never hopped to before. So, what are we talking about today, man?
0: The second one, and I feel like this is getting some play online, too, because it just found its way to free Amazon Prime streaming, uh, is Arnold Schwarzenegger is Running Man.
1: Everyone I know talking about the Running Man. And what's the third? I've
0: seen a lot of tweets about the Running Man from my, my uh, circle of friends. Uh, and then, of course, the third one is Slumdog Millionaire.
1: The Oscar Big Best
0: Picture winner, Yeah from 2008
1: what a weird 10 years is such an interesting time to revisit movies that people were like that was good and then never talked about again so i'm excited to kind of unearth that puppy a little bit i had totally
0: i mean i was texting you about it. i had totally forgotten what kind of a movie slumdog millionaire was
1: it's a it's a kind of movie that's for sure i mean it's who wants to be a
0: millionaire as told by the director of train spotting
1: that's exactly right um but we're starting the quiz show right Absolutely. We must. So, it's our mandate. Jai Ho, lead the way. (laughs) It's a mandate. You can tell how much we want to talk about Quiz Show by how many Slumdog Millionaire references we're making. Um, The goofy thing about Quiz Show is that it has been in my Netflix queue. It's still currently on Netflix. Since a Netflix queue existed. I think it's been on my watch list since 2012. Um, it's just been
0: sitting there watching you from the My List feature on Netflix.
1: Yeah, with Ray Fiennes and those wraparound headphones, just like looking at me, wondering if he's compromised or I'm compromised or what's going on. But if you don't know Quiz Show, it uh, was a 1994 movie directed by Robbie Redford. Um, it was his fourth movie of nine. Uh, we can talk about his uh, his directorial efforts in a little bit. But yeah, like Noah said, it's it's Ray Fiennes. Uh, one year after he won the Oscar for Schindler's List, he is playing Charles Van Dorn, who is a real-life contestant uh, on this 50s game show called 21 that got swept up in these corruption charges after it turned out they were giving people the answers, slash booting them off the show at their whim for whatever the ratings uh, you know, seemed to dictate. And with the special involvement from the sponsors, Geritol. <laughs> if you absolutely
0: the this tonic that with questionable properties yeah
1: i watched this movie with my mom and i was like mom what's geritol and she's like oh it's just some extra iron for your blood i mean we could all use a little geritol i was like mom it sounds like you're stumping for for geritol she's like (laughs) it's something she's really and then she
0: started singing the geritol theme
1: song under her breath she's like oh it's a fine product (laughs) um Mm, geritol (laughs) yum i feel healthier already uh So yeah, it's it's an interest. It's definitely like an Oscar Beatty movie with a lot of commentary on the fifties. It's a movie about television, as every other character says, um, when given the chance. Um, But it's all. I guess it's also sort of like an investigation movie, right? Uh, The little scene after character actor Rob Morrow um, plays Dick Goodwin, an investigator from the Congressional Oversight Committee, to try and. Take down the network. Take down Geritol, and uh, develops kind of a weird, uneasy friendship with Charles Van Dorn, and has a weird, uneasy friendship with Herb Stimson, who was the guy who got kicked off the show, um, played by John Turturro. So that's the setup. It's on Netflix now. Let's get into it. Jarrettall presents the exciting quiz program Twenty
0: One. Give me the name of the explorer who discovered Mozambique. Vasco da Gama? Correct, for 10 points! Stemple is an underdog. You know, people root for that.
1: Sure, wasn't Herbie terrific?
0: Have you seen the ratings?
1: I'd like you to meet next week's challenger, Charles Van Doren. Oh. How
0: much do they pay instructors up at Columbia? $86 a week. Do you have any idea how much Bozo the Clown makes? Gotta be James J. Braddock.
1: Correct, you have 21! this guy a natural or what? He's a natural.
0: $20,000. What if we would ask you questions that you know?
1: Well, I think I'd really rather try to
0: beat him honestly. Just an idea. Was that part of the test? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know his name. Halleck, General H.W. Halleck. You have 21.
1: I'm constantly amazed at the facts these guys have at their fingertips. It's been nine weeks now. And you've won how much? $93,000.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to stop you right there, too, and back it up a little, saying that, like, Rob Morrow didn't have a career outside of playing Dick Goodwin, the sort of protagonist. Fans of Northern Exposure will remember him uh, in his star turn as Dr. Joel Fleischman. And, of course, he was on the hit CBS drama Numbers, opposite David Krumholtz. Was Northern Exposure before this or after this? It was directly after Okay. No, I'm kidding. It was at the tail end. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I guess I didn't mean to say you didn't have a career. It's just like you watch this movie and I, wa- I mean I want to talk about this and you really want I really want this role to be played by like Seymour Hoffman or or if- even if we're going interesting character actors like give me like Chaz Pomeroy or something of the of like that day. Um You don't
0: like his constantly evolving New England accent?
1: It's really rough. Um
0: It's all over the place.
1: Well, and but in then, kind
0: of a funny, charming way.
1: I, w- I mean, I would argue the same of Ray Fiennes's accent. Um, you know, trying to play someone whose like blood is so blue they're like freezing to death on their own fake charm, um, trying to do like an American accent. Where do you want to start with this movie, Noah?
0: Well, let's talk about like where this movie sort of fits into the world of like movies about movies, and also like what it kind of says about where television like fits into the cultural conversation yes because like this movie we should say from the the outset has no women in it it has wives and has only white people and the 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 race uh conflict here is like wasps versus jews and rob morrow as dick goodwin not dick goldberg uh is your sort of he can speak to both sides. Mm -hmm. He can, he can code switch because he's gone to Harvard, but he can also like speak to uh, John Turturro's Herbie Stemple as like the most nebbishy Jewish quiz show contestant you've ever
1: seen. So that dates it. It
0: definitely dates it. And it's sort of like unapologetically dated. And it's yeah. the kind of movie, if you, like, ask Robert Redford about it now, he'd be like, well, that's just, like, that's the way it was. And it's, like, Good Night and Good Luck has women in it. Right. You know? Network has women in it. Yes. Uh, Tootsie has women in it. Like, what's your what's your bait, guy?
1: Well, yeah. So, but this is a movie that it's interesting to compare it to Network, because I think in a lot of ways, like, Network just, like, makes a lot of what this movie is saying in essential, right? Um. Whereas, like, Network is seemingly examining something... Is examining what was the future in 1975. This movie is now 25 years old, looking at a phenomenon that was 40 years before that. Yeah, so the question was what I wanted to ask you, kind of something I want to grapple with, like, which weighs more? Because it's a weighty movie, um, just in, like, the watch, in the length, in the amount of things it wants to say, but which weighs more? The movie's insight or it's kind of like needless commentary on TV.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's sort of my overarching question is like, how much do you want to buy into the idea of, you know, it's not real life, it's television. God damn it, television's worth it. As if it's like some religion that yeah. these people are paying into. I mean, I'm happy to believe TV's like that. If you If you want me to, for the sake of this, conversation it just feels a little i think ridiculous from the outset of this movie just how like self-serious it is about capital t television
1: yeah i think the first time that her plays by played by john Turturro comes back to his wife and queens in the midst of his win streak and she's like you know giving him a hard time or something. He's just like, don't you understand, sweetie? It's television. It's the biggest thing since Gutenberg invented the printing press. And to like, Yeah, nobody in this real story said that. To shove those words into a character's mouth to let you know this is a movie about television is, right. wow, heavy hands.
0: They talk about I mean, it's written by Paul uh, Atanasio. So they talk about television the way that the people in the research mission talk about the sphere in Sphere. <laughs> it's just like this magical sort of revered orb that they like sort of pass around and then they like pray to. And then it reveals there are the worst things about them. It's very much. It It just is sphere.
1: Yeah. Um. I don't. I mean, I don't disbelieve that like the TV and like the fact that you could suddenly be connected to mass media just by leaving it on 16 hours a day. wasn't like a huge deal in 1958, but you know, making a whole movie about like saying so is a bit superfluous. I think if I can switch to where I think it does better, I think it's commentary on the fifties is perhaps a little sharper. The opening scene of the movie is Dick Goodwin sitting down to buy Uh, or think about buying a Chrysler 300 and you see the kind of like sell job and the pristine white showroom of like, this car will make you a man. This car will basically like create the Ward Cleaver image around you. And they flip on the radio and what they hear is Sputnik. And the announcer makes it clear that there's a sort of haunting going on. Like you are now being surveilled by the other, you know, dark energy across the Atlantic And I think where the movie is a little sharper is this idea that the 50s, even without approaching the much more obvious sexist and racist things about the decade, is like a lot of the dry rot of what we're still dealing with now, like was solidified here because it was sold as something. It was sold as a picket fence. And that still works a little bit for me as commentary, I would say.
0: I think this movie is also pretty wildly prescient and critical... Of that sort of important American family thing. Yeah, totally. And just like how all these people are fucking frauds in one way or another. And then especially, we can get into the climax of this movie, but especially at the end with sort of the wrist slapping that ends up actually occurring. Yeah. It's very much of, like, even 2019 kind of, what do you mean that guy's not getting charged with anything? Like Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah. Um, You're talking about the scene where uh, Charles Van Doren reads an apology before the oversight committee um, that is some basic level of reflection, and the first four people are all like, the fact that you would get up here and say the truth is just so commendable to me. (laughs)
0: Right. Which and it's movie, a lot of them.
1: The movie plays it for irony, for sure. Um, let's talk about Fines then, since we're on this subject. Maybe Aaron Fines oh. and his relationship to Paul Schofield, uh, famous the great British theater actor who won the Oscar for Man for All Seasons, uh, plays his father, um, the Van Doren patriarch. How do you feel about the acting going on? Well, it's so. It was
0: funny that you brought up um, Schindler's List because it's so. Charles Van Dorn is the opposite of his role from Schindler's List, that like crazy Nazi psychopath. Like, this guy's. He really wants you to like him, which yes. is such an interesting career move that really maybe like cleanses the palate of Rave Fines just because of the massive overcorrect scripts that he's chosen to pursue. Um,
1: yeah, and we're two years also, out from the English Patient, too.
0: Two years, yeah, and that's where it just solidifies him as a, a bona fide star. But this one is sort of he he gets he polishes himself and he presents this guy that he sort of seduces you into thinking, or at least me as a heterosexual white man, like, yeah, this is the kind of guy I want to be, right? He's like an academic and you know, he's doing it for the right reasons and he's sort of gaming the system to his advantage and, like, he's doing the right things with a little bit of power. And then you're like, fuck, that's... That's what he wants me to believe, but that's not the truth about this situation or many American fraud situations.
1: I think that realization clicking on some level is key, right? Because the first when he goes on the game show at first, he's kind of just like a bored academic who wants to get out of the family legacy and it's originally Well
0: he's not just bored, he needs to like establish what's him. Yeah. Because he comes from this powerful family. And they say it towards the end of the film, too, of like they were saying, like, how could he do this? And it was sort of like how do you not understand how he could do this? Like, obviously he would do this because he needs something to like establish his name.
1: There are moments where that are very striking where Redford will like light him a certain way. And, I mean, the whole, a big part of the appeal of Charles Van Dorn is that he looks great on television. You know, Hank Azaria, one of, like, the co-producers or something, like, sees him in the distance, like, trying out for a quiz show at the network studio and is like, who is that guy? We gotta get that jawline on television. Um, And, God, Redford just puts him in, like, this dusky lighting sometimes where it's like, well, it's no coincidence, of course, that Robert Redford knows how to make someone look like a movie star when he's behind the camera.
0: And he's certainly good at making John Taturo so aesthetically displeasing as yeah. to like you physically just prefer that like wonderful quaff in uh Rafe his hair and the fact that like he doesn't have any dark teeth and is like his clothes actually fit him and like even when he's a fraud, he's stylish about it and like has a certain bit of you know ooze.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think you ultimately you were texting me. You find like you find it a little easy, a little trite what they do to Totoro in this movie.
0: Yeah, I think it borders on anti-Semitism the way in which he's written. Maybe a caricature, uh, a caricature of like this Jewish immigrant who believes in the American dream. Uh, I mean, it's played for irony, I think, 90% of the time, but like 10% of the time when they like push in on him and his like, curly Jewish hair and his like, larger than average nose. It's like, okay, Robert Redford, you can pull out like we get it. He's not (laughs) as charming. There's that scene where it's juxtaposed where he's testifying before the subcommittee. And then when finds testifies it's just like shot so much more glamorously mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't know i'm not making any accusations i'm just stating i think obvious facts
1: i think the best moment of the movie actually or the moment that rang the truest is that the dad professor van Dorn, the paul Schofield character he doesn't watch tv right um they don't own one and he, he gets one at this party in the middle of the movie. Um, And there's a moment where he's watching Charles on 21 and is like leaps out of his seat and turns it off at the climactic moment. He's just like, I cannot stand to watch this. Like television is too stressful. And I thought if we're talking about prescience, I actually loved that moment because it solidifies this idea that mass inescapable technology no matter if you're a Hawthorne scholar or someone who would avoid it, ultimately affects everyone neurologically the same way, right? Like, it really made me think of, and I, again, I watch this with my, with my mom, who's out here for her 60th birthday. Ten years ago, she would have been a person who would have said, like, look at you kids on your fucking phones. You're all bent over. You're all hunched over, like, tapping away in your touchscreens. Now it's 2019, and if you look at a family at a restaurant – Does not matter how old anyone is; they are all hunched over their phones the exact same way. And it's like this technology can invade anybody's like concept of the world. And I felt like that was a a transmutable theme.
0: That's great. Yeah, there's a lot of really great visual moments uh, like that. I think the the whole idea of 21 that there's like separated in these two boxes. They're like in these sound. Yeah, I don't know if that's based on a real actual quiz show. Um, I think so, but it's interesting too how they shoot. So it's uh, just to fuck with uh, John Turturro. They sometimes turn off the air conditioning in his box, right. and so there are these great moments where it's just like his eyes, and you see like a drip of sweat like roll down his cheek, and then it like kind of quickly pans to like the fans slowing down like in the grate like behind him and he sort of like recognizes that it's happening and and knows that it's it's television that's messing with him uh but it's it's well shot
1: the 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 behind the scenes stuff is incredibly well done yeah you remember the moment too where he uh he knows that he's he's thrown the question about Marty versus on the waterfront and tries to look over at Charles Van Dorn and you sl- just slightly hear his head whack the glass where he cannot yeah. look over there.
0: <laughs> That's pretty great. Um, yeah. It's a terrific performance. It's hard to be mad at this movie too much because of all the great performances in it. And I think the Fines and the Tetsuro per- uh, performances are, are balanced against each other in a way that like, They're both kind of watching each other through the glass by the end of it.
1: I agree with you. I think I do think, though, that it's the Moro performance who is in between the bridge between the boxes who does not elevate this movie, you know, say out of my Netflix queue the last seven years. Um, I think that's the reason it was like, oh, this is an Oscar movie, but it was not a hit. Um, It's not a movie that a lot of people have like returned to with much Vigor I think there are interesting things in it I think it's interesting anytime like Robert Redford Makes a movie um, it's definitely Great to see early rave Fiennes um, But as we turn toward A rating here I think it might be a pretty Easy good Bad meaning like the technical Quality is is good And interesting the themes are of The same but in terms of like watchability There's a lot of the other thing is there's a lot Of montage in this movie That like slowly is, is reasonably entertaining in and of itself, but might tip the hand a little bit that Redford knows that there's not as much to dramatize as he would like, especially because you already know they're cheating. Um, so I'm going to land on a good-bad, probably. It's definitely, it exists in that
0: school of sort of League of Their Own level montage- you know, like here's a newspaper headline flying by and here's like the guy getting yeah. out of the car and every all these women scream kind of thing. It's true. Um, I don't know though, but for a movie that one of its climactic scenes is Rob Morrow having like the billiard room scene from Eyes Wide Shut with uh, Martin Scorsese about right. like how life works oh, shit. is pretty incredible <laughs> and like kind of a rare gem uh, in an otherwise... You know, I think above average movie. No, that's true. Uh,
1: um, Scorsese. I enjoyed
0: watching it. I think it gets. I I totally agree that it gets long, especially if you're watching this movie late at night for a podcast. Uh huh. But what did you rate it? Good, bad, or did you? You said good, bad. I think it's good, good. But if you want to see the movie that got Christopher McDonald typecast as television game show host, fuck
1: yeah. Uh this is it. He's great. This is Jack Berry. This is Jack Berry. This is Jack, <laughs> Jack Berry. <laughs> uh yeah. So I think it's a good good. Oh, did you notice the way he reads his name is the same way he says perfect storm?
0: The way it's incredible. Like the way he describes the three storms hitting each other. It could create a, a perfect storm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, talking about Scorsese. Um you also have great cameos we should mention from Barry Levinson who of course directed Redford and The Natural uh and Ethan Hawke. Did you catch Oh the- yeah, Ethan
0: Hawke is in for like 2 seconds leaving the dad's class going like I don't even know what he meant by that.
1: Right. <laughs> Which did that seem like a like a dead poet society joke to you almost? It did. It
0: 100% seemed like a <laughs> Like uh, we're related to Dead Poet Society in our like white privilege, uh, patina here.
1: I just thought it was really funny as they they cast him for two and a half seconds as like the kid who like doesn't like books and doesn't get them <laughs> after you know playing Todd. Um, all right, should we move on to Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. All right. So uh, eleven years since this thing. Did you see this movie in theaters? I did Yeah, this movie This the
0: best picture
1: Yes I have, a th- I have some theories Because, um, like, this is also a movie With, like, in retrospect A lot of problems And I'm not sure how many of them directly are, like It's problems that it's creating Or just whether the thing that it's trying to do Is creating a tornado of problems um, But it made me think The way it worked and didn't work on me kind of like clarified something about like the last 10 years of Best Picture winners, Um, which is this is a Danny Boyle movie. It was a a massive hit. It made $380 million on a $15 million budget, um, which is crazy. Um, But it falls in that weird zone where like people who really like Danny Boyle would probably not even put this in their top five favorite Danny Boyle movies. Um, Do
0: you think there's somebody out there who like thinks of this movie as their favorite when someone's like, oh, what's your favorite movie on like a first date? Do you think there's
1: somebody somewhere
0: going definitely Slumdog Millionaire? (laughs)
1: Um, A person I would go on one date with, sure. I went to high school
0: with this kid named Andrew Sloan, and his current Instagram handle is Sloan Dog Millionaire. So I do think of it then, uh, but not the plot or cast or really anything about the movie, just its existence.
1: I also think of the movie through a high school lens because one of my like, you know, friends dated this girl for like two seconds when we were juniors, who, like, the morning after this won the movie, or excuse me, the morning after this won the Oscar was like, so what won last night, guys? And in total earnestness, she asked, was it Snoop Dogg Millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of little 16-year-old shitheads lost their mind and never spoke to her again.
0: <laughs> I bet you still reference it to this day.
1: Oh, yeah. As soon as I put it on the television, I was like, Sarah, we're watching Snoop Dogg Millionaire tonight. Are you ready? <laughs>
0: And she pretended that she understood a bit you had from high school?
1: Well, then I explained it all, and she was like, I definitely do think less of you. You don't come off well in that story at all. (laughs) But wait. So, well, let's
0: go through the the plot of this movie if we can. The premise is, must be stated. Two brothers living in Mumbai, nay Bombay, right? uh, really in the slums, Uh, lose their mother due to religious violence and then have to make for themselves uh, which leads them to entering this orphanage Uh, around the same time they meet a young girl that sort of comes in as their third musketeer Um, and but then the orphanage is like not what it seems sort of and then that leads them into this, like, crazy world as India evolves around them. Right.
1: Um, all, of course, yeah, you're 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 kind of uh, presenting the... Oh, I didn't
0: mention the whole premise,
1: <laughs> Well, you're presenting the bigger... You're actually kind of presenting the flashbacks the way they are presented, which is not as flashbacks, but as a kind of chronology framed by Jamal, played by Dev Patel in the present moment, Being on the Indian version of who wants to be a millionaire Uh, And he knows the answer to all these questions Because he has lived some part of it They are all connected to uh, You know, 90% of the time Hugely tragic incident in in his young life
0: Doctors, lawyers never get beyond 16,000 rupees He's on 10 million What can a slum dog possibly know?
1: He went on the show because I thought she'd be watching She's my destiny.
0: Well, the movie has like the problem, I mean, I think that you were talking about earlier, as you alluded to, it's, it's sort of spinning nature. Um, but the idea that it has three parallel narratives going on. One is the lives of these two young boys. Right. Right that is going on over this 20 year period. But the movie is framed not only by him being a contestant on who wants to be a millionaire. It's actually framed by a third narrative of him being interrogated by a police inspector, um, played by Irfan Khan. Uh, and they're watching it on like a VHS tape. That's right. That's happened the night before. Whew. And so the tension in that one is, like, is he going to get to go back to, like, finish this thing, ultimately? Right. And then the plots kind of, like, all come together because it is the end of his life, the end of both the game and the end of the night that we started in. Which
1: I think, not understanding what's going on in the first 10 minutes of this movie— Creates a sense of exhilaration That I think Danny Boyle the director Plays on like very well That carries you deep into the movie Before you kind of like settle in For like what's going on And like oh god not this And how much of this am I going to have to take And is this all going to end in him just like knowing the questions And the answer is yes Um, But also that's Not the most compelling way to tell this Story if you want to examine Jamal the character or give Dev Patel space to create a character. I was kind of surprised for how much of these people I watched, how little I still knew about them, and how the actors like didn't seem to have a lot of room to just like breathe. There's no room to breathe in this movie at all.
0: Right. Well, it also has like the, the moonlight paradox, right? Where you cast three different people to play the same role where the supporting cast is doesn't change.
1: Yes. But who has more room to – I know what you're saying, of course, but who has more room to breathe than the Moonlight actors? That whole movie is designed well, to I give. Well, I think the,
0: the what's good about the Moonlight take on this problem, this cinematic problem, is that it doesn't do, like, the crazy Danny Boyle, like, somebody's being tortured, like, a night later at the end of these three narratives. Right. Like, I quickly – did you quickly ask yourself in this movie, like, why was he being tortured? like who really cares like why would the police be involved in such a serious way is like that's the only media the media is so sacred in this market that you get electrocuted if you're even accused incidentally of cheating
1: yeah i think you i think like that- why
0: is that the framing device like couldn't it just be him doing the game show And then, like, the fucked up life that led up to it, and maybe, like, a producer whispers to another producer, is someone tipping him off? And they, like, do a search, you know, like, Passenger 57 style, like, of the the crowd or something. Uh But then it just doesn't become such an oppressive... Because this is, like, the Mission Impossible 3 of heartwarming quiz show (laughs) movies. (laughs) Like, you think that you think that you know someone's dead and someone's getting tortured immediately
1: yeah no you're that's a such a good comparison yeah it's not the way I would tell the movie of course or like the way that makes the most sense to illuminate the characters but so let me let me let me make my case for this this is a movie that I'm not really sure I liked all that much um, a movie that I think Like lacks for depth when you're Doing like a podcast style interrogation Of like who the people are Um, A movie that raises All sorts of like crazy Potentially thorny cultural Questions um, about Like should you portray One of the biggest And most important countries in the World this way when like American European audiences often Don't see it uh, presented in Screen should you portray it this way Um But I think what this movie has going for it is Danny Boyle and the way, like, the verve um, that he brings to the movie and especially the way it, like, lands at the end. Whether you're talking about a much better movie in Moonlight or a more classical epic like Out of Africa, I think what still kind of worked on me and what definitely worked on audiences on 2008 is just how much you've invested in these kids and how much you want to see them press the magic button at the end and get what they want. And to loop that back around to my thing, when I look at the last 10 years of Best Picture winners, we got this, we got Hurt Locker, King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, Shape of Water and Green Book. There are a lot of B minus movies in there. Maybe seven of those were B minus to B movies, but they are all sell jobs on behalf of the director to like how we want movies to work. Right, the build and the fall and the release and the commitment to a style that like is easily recognizable by American audiences. And I think this movie hammers that note.
0: Well, this movie also presents the illusion too that you're watching like a like a fancy foreign film, yeah, because of the captioning on it, and because of mostly I would imagine white cinema goers being brought into an exoticized world that seems like, you know, sort of charming at least in the relationship between these characters, Mm -hmm. um, but like. There's something disingenuous, I think, about the docu-realism of this movie, and the fact that it still is also a movie that believes in the religion of television, that, like, there's this game on top of the game, and that game is, like, more interesting, and if you have that, like, American Ninja Warrior sob story that led you to this moment, aka him sort of going from rags to riches... It makes your meteoric rise that much more compelling. So I almost think it's like a self serious docu realist. Examination of the basest reason why we would watch any sort of competition show, mm. but i don't know that it has enough irony about that. It makes it seem like yes, the country of India needs a champion to root for, and it's like no, that's the lie that television tells you right that's not the moral of this movie
1: the kid persevered. I think you're very nearly putting your finger on the most interesting question about all of these movies, right? Is how much of the thing that the suits in the movies are telling you you're watching, are you watching in the movie? And what does the director think yes. of that thing, right? Like, that's a really interesting talk about with Running Man. It's really interesting to talk about with Quiz Show. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the lack of detail, and I, I mean, I don't know whether to feel bad about Sympathetic about it Accusatory about it Or ambivalent about it But The sheer lack of movies That American audiences see Unless they're like You know Schooled in Bollywood film Which neither of us are Unfortunately um, But That The American or English language films About India What are we talking about Gandhi Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Darjeeling Limited, this. Like, we just don't we don't have the context to understand what a game show like this would mean in a country that was founded on a caste system. I would assume that would be way, way, way different, but I do not know. In the same way, when the mother is brutally murdered by Hindu nationalists because they're a Muslim family and just like leaves the frame before we learn anything about her, it's like should I have known more about that? Should I just accept that as like, Daniel yeah, Boyle has got it's, this? It's justified
0: with that line, get them, they're Muslims.
1: And that's it.
0: That's really it.
1: That's that, so interesting to like, you. Yeah, I mean, I that, think that's right. That violence did happen. Um, you know, it has happened in India, but it's just like, I don't, I don't under, and if this movie tried to give me the context for that, wouldn't it become like an unbearable explanatory piece? I don't know. That's where the movie reaches
0: like just a little bit too far for me. Danny Boyle needs to have that. And there's a secret resistance also on the other side of Running Man. Kind of like (laughs) like the game has to mean something. And sometimes like the game doesn't mean anything. Right. And that's what's maybe where Quiz Show becomes more watchable than this movie. Because it, like, gets that there's magic to the TV and, like, maybe not... Like, maybe let's not have a shot of a kid getting blinded.
1: Yeah. Um, and on that note, I mean, I, if there are people who know more of, like, the controversy surrounding this movie, so um, Levine Tandon um, is credited as... Oh, the as, co-director? As co-director. But if you read why she got that credit... It doesn't seem to be very much um, involved in, like, cultural ambassadoring or, like, making sure we get this right on a level that's true to, you know, storytelling. So it's just the casting
0: director for the Indian roles. And who
1: could make sure that the Hindi was good, because 20% of the movie's in Hindi.
0: Sure yeah I mean, I don't know what the purpose of that was, but yeah it it does feel like a little don't worry, guys, there yes. was an Indian co-director.
1: It doesn't seem to be done very much in earnest or in the ways no. that ten years later we would want it to be done in earnest, right.
0: Well, that's, I think, the problem with this movie is that it's not critical enough of television because in and of itself, it is a movie that relies on a television trope to be successful and justifies it as a movie that traditionally white audiences can enjoy as feeling good about things that aren't white for a season paying a lot of money to do so recommending it to other people but ultimately it is an example of why media
1: of that entertainment media is bad yes i would agree um and there's a so i probably i talk about sarah all the time she's my partner she's a therapist um she watches movie with me she had a great maybe charitable read on what's going on here, which is like the really hokey part of this is like, this guy lived all this thing, so he has a memory for these nine questions, and now he's going to win a million dollars. Because so many of them are involved in trauma, Sarah wisely pointed out that when you have trauma memories... They are not memories. Um, The brain does not file them away as memories. It files them away as sensorial experiences that you cannot escape, which is where PTSD comes from, Um, which I think opens such an interesting door for the movie to show that Jamal like almost doesn't want It was not good for him to answer these questions correctly, or he doesn't want this, and that could be a really interesting indictment of television. But also, in not answering the all-essential question of how he got on this goddamn show in the first place, it can't really... Yeah. It can't make good on that read. There's only that one sort
0: of passing moment where, like, you're supposed to call when he says if, because that triggers the whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, so he his only resort was because this show is so ubiquitous the only way he could talk to his girlfriend would be to get on it and then it was written to the premise of this movie is sort of hokey. Oh, Can I say hokey.
1: that? Oh, I think uh, I was looking I was reading criticism of it and you know who said the same was uh, Salman Rushdie.
0: <laughs> That's incredible.
1: So, you're on that side of the fence. Um yeah, what else do we have to talk Do you want to talk about Dev Patel? Do you want to talk about uh, best and worst moments of Danny Boyle directing? Do we want to talk about M.I.A. or Jai Ho? What do you want to talk about?
0: There's definitely a conversation to be had about the soundtrack of this movie. It really plays uh, M.I.A.'s airplanes for all it's worth. It's electric. In that train sequence. It's great. It's
1: electric, but is that a problem? I mean, I don't think it... Ha- I mean, I guess
0: it shows them, like, having the hustle and being gangsters or whatever. Yes. Um,
1: And when it times with that moment of them rolling off the train and the dust, and that's the Hakuna Matata age to the next actor, that's pretty brilliant.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, having that be their 2001 A Space Odyssey stick turns into Dev Patel. Yep. uh, It's pretty good. I think, though, much like I haven't thought about Slumdog Millionaire since this time period, I also haven't thought of M.I.A. since this and Pineapple Express. But Jai Ho's great. Jai Ho's a banger.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, made a whole audience be like, what are they doing? What is this? And then some Indian person who was so fucking bored with all of us white people was like, this is a Bollywood dance, you fucking morons
0: they it's a great
1: Bollywood dance. It, it's it's certainly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a sell job from Danny for all it's worth. Um, and I think that
0: uh, it it really is the uh, Green Book yes. of Indian stories.
1: It's a better movie than Green Book for sure. But it's I haven't seen Green Book. But I don't support that working. But it's but it's working on the same audience the same way ten years later for sure. Because after I watched
0: it, it felt pretty tight. But like as we unpack it a little bit more, it's so like intentionally tight that it's sort of annoying. So I think it might be a bad, bad. Wow! Okay. I think this Best Picture Oscar winner might be a bad, bad.
1: Would you rank it? Where would you rank it in the lineage of King's Speech? The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight, Shape of Water, and Green Book? <laughs> um, I'd put it
0: and Green Book near the bottom, Which probably. he hasn't seen, audience. Just because of what it represents. Yeah. I'm ranking
1: them in Twitter order. Um, <laughs> and you don't have to see the movies to rank stuff in Twitter order. That's right. Heaven's,
0: heaven knows. Um, I kind of liked Argo,
1: though. Do we not like Argo? I think we think that... I think just like with Slumdog Millionaire, I think, in retrospect, we think it's pretty weird that anyone thought that was the best movie of 2012. Of course, people who were, like, taking criticism seriously at the time did not. Um, But, like, you know, the Oscars do represent this sort of, like, weird path for general audiences into cinephilia, right?
0: And so, like... I will agree that of this year... This was probably the most movie.
1: What was up? What else was up? The reader, Frost Nixon, Benjamin Button. It might be better than those.
0: Benjamin Button's is horrendous.
1: The reader's also really bad, in my opinion.
0: The reader is just yeah, it's a bad, like, Nazi love story thing. There's so
1: many Nazi love stories, Hollywood. Why are you doing this? <laughs> I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give Slumdog Millionaire uh A good bad. It is certainly like worth a rewatch 10 years later just to be like, what's going on here? But again, I don't know. If you're like really into Danny Boyle, this probably is not your favorite. Um, If you're like looking back at Dev Patel's career, this is just like a sad first and like highest moment. Hollywood is really not done right by him at all. Um, Yeah, it's just. So much strange baggage, but I'll give it a good bad. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice hard time or prime time.
0: Sensational. Perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark. I'll be back. Regarding 1987's The Running Man, let me ask you this, Chance. Has there ever been a movie that has opened with a more elaborate title sequence uh, intro info dump card than this one has?
1: I mean, probably like Demolition Man. But like we're talking about two quite related movies. But this one's like four or five
0: paragraphs of like so the world got to a point where, and it was like, okay, you could just start this movie without any of this, and I'd probably piece it together. Like, even uh, Snake Plissken, uh, Escape from LA and New York, yeah, like, yeah. don't have. It's just like, there's a super island.
1: Okay, fine. Right. Yeah, the funny, we were texting about this, the funny idea as it like explains like first of all like what a dystopian movie is how television works how we like violence is just like you don't think we could have gotten any of that from what is one of the least subtle movies i've ever seen which follows i also think this movie from the outset
0: you know the the religion or whatever of television is a very fundamentalist kind of crazy like idiocracy level like
1: yeah kill him ah. so this is like a, a a UNL like DN Dalier like affiliated person who I don't even know if I've ever met Colin Loberg I follow him on Letterboxd but he basically like blew this whole review up for me by just saying like this movie's like Verhoeven but fucking stupid <laughs> and I was like yeah right. that's right that's kind of all there is to say about The Running Man but let's talk about it some more anyway yeah No,
0: this is like an exploitation movie in the highest order, of the highest order, I would say. Oh, boy. Um, Where we have, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger at the center of this story about a wrongfully accused man having to both prove his innocence and battle a American ninja warrior, but, but you die if you don't get through it thing. Yeah. And then just cast all the big people you know. <laughs> you know, Jesse the Body of Ventura, Jim Brown, right. uh, Yafet Kodo. Uh, what's he from? He looks super familiar.
1: Yafet Kodo is in a million black exploitation movies. You probably know him from Alien. Oh, yes. Midnight I'm Run. thinking of him from Alien. Um, Mick Fleetwood. Oh, the man. The imposing drummer from Fleetwood Mac. He's a big guy. I mean, he's cocaine he's... skinny, but like he's tall. Yeah. Dweezil Zappa's in this movie. Man.
0: Um, and who was the guy you were texting me about? Oh, that was Jim Brown. Right. Yeah.
1: This is our first Arnold movie. In 137 episodes in nearly five years, we've never done an Arnold movie.
0: It seems like we must have done True Lies at least three or four
1: times. Uh, I mean, yet we have not. <laughs> so the weird thing about this movie in relationship to this like self-awareness, like, is TV good or bad question, is that it it wants it's trying to be a movie where you praise it as prescient, where you're like, Yeah, this predicts the way that we're like we're so obsessed with media, man, in the future. But um in 1987, we already fucking were. You're just taking the reality of the day and exaggerating it.
0: But then also in turn, much like a slumdog millionaire, never thought I'd get to say that, uh, the running man is a movie that is an exploitation film and is hyper-violent for people who like hyper-violent entertainment.
1: 100%, that's why That's why it doesn't work as let it's not a Verhoeven movie. It's too stupid. It does not understand that it is the thing it is potentially satirizing.
0: Right. Well, let's get into the premise of the titular game, uh, The Running Man. Yeah. So, basically, this television affiliate has an arrangement with the united states justice department where they send high profile convicts to this studio where they put them in this like go-kart luge thing and like shoot them away from the metropolitan area where they're in the studio and let them fend for themselves in a studio that they don't really control but definitely film That involves them deploying four rotating casts of just, like, violence bringers (laughs) in various levels of, like, fearsomeness and believability. It's so
1: much like wrestling.
0: Right. But you gotta say, like, the guy wrapped in Christmas lights driving around in that go-kart was, like, not terribly scary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dynamo. I was a big fan of Dynamo. Um, but it's so funny that without really explaining it, you understand in the course of this 90-minute movie that Jesse Ventura and Jim Brown are, like, the emeriti of this system, right? They're, like, in suites somewhere with, like, women on both shoulders, like, just watching it. Like, they right. were never supposed to be called back into action, but Arnie dispenses pretty quickly, quickly with Buzzsaw and Dynamo.
0: I think Fireball, like, has his accoutrement, like, pretty at the ready for him being, but a but a, a fighter at large or whatever they've demoted him to. You
1: think uh, a la Rick, uh, Rick Dalton, his flamethrower, is pretty close by?
0: <laughs> oh, I think that that thing's gassed up and ready, like, regardless. It is very much like Rick Dalton's <laughs> flamethrower, though, just to, like, have that thing in the in a shed outside. Oh, it's true, it's um, true. But yeah, but Jesse Ventura's Captain Freedom Jesse Ventura's is pretty good. Unbel- but that—did you notice that that movie penned the technology for the deep fake, where they have that thing where they like oh, take yeah. the scan of of that extras face and put Arnold Schwarzenegger on it to to make you think it's him? Yeah, oh my God,
1: it made me wonder if there wasn't some kind of like, I mean, so Ventura and Schwarzenegger had just been in Pred- Predator, comes out the same year.
0: But That's so insane because Predator's so much better. It
1: made me wonder <laughs> though, like if there was some kind of like weird contractual or like a game of chicken going on, where it's like, is Jesse gonna fight him in this movie? Because by all narrative rights, he should, right?
0: Yeah, like, and, and the fight sequence that there is, quote unquote, in the movie is so lame.
1: You know, Richard Dawson's pretty good as the. Uh, oh, Richard Dawson's incredible as the game show host. It's very funny to realize that he actually had hosted, like, Family Feud and Match Game. Like, he was just doing a more exaggerated, um, you know, totalitarian version of the thing that he already did.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I think it also needs to be noted, too, that this movie is directed by the guy who played Dave Starsky in the original Starsky and Hutch.
1: Paul Michael Glazer. Yes, and he actually directed a surprising number. We did the Cutting Edge. He did Kazam. Yeah, it's not a. It's like so many of those Arnold movies in the eighties, though. It's like it's basically directed by Arnold. It's just like whatever the fifteen million dollar star wants to do, right?
0: Absolutely, he has some truly terrible, cringeworthy, like one-liners too. Oh, in this one,
1: I mean, just like so much of like from Commando uh onward from commi- he literally says i'll be back shameless at one point. totally fucking shameless
0: hello cutie pie one of us is in deep trouble <laughs> like what does that what does that mean
1: i already joked about this but if you sounded as silly saying come on as arnold does which i believe is come on um <laughs> would you be oh you have a really good Arnold that's great would you want to say it eight times a movie I yeah
0: this I there's just something reprehensible about this movie it makes one feel icky watching it
1: oh I didn't feel icky it's just you know it's stupid
0: I felt it was like it's so dated in its politics and like such a confusing addition to this genre too because like Television is the only religion, but it also is evolving so quickly that it doesn't know what it is. Yeah, Like, there's that line in it when the director guy goes, Mr. Spock, you have the con. And, like, one of the tech guys is like, who's Mr. Spock? Oh, right. The joke it's like, about so how... so television is religion, but, it's, but Star Trek isn't Old Testament? Like, that doesn't... Right. Doesn't make sense to me. Oh,
1: interesting. Interesting. Like, why would they have that
0: in the script. Like, I think the point they're trying to make is like, this is in the future, guys. Right. Like, if you can remember Star Trek, this will never happen. Well,
1: also, it's the classic, funny, 80s apocalyptic movie where it's, uh... didn't this movie happen in the year 2017? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, Roger Ebert said in his review of this that all the scenes of violence are essentially the same scene over and over again, and he's dead right. One of the things this movie could really use is like why is the game show not taking place in theme rooms? Like the the big bads are all kind of themed around a thing. So why are not why are there? It would be so much more watchable if there were just environments and not like just- they went
0: in all in on the ice rink and then they were like, well, Dynamo's going to have a car, and this guy's going to have a chainsaw motorcycle thing. Yeah, and then this guy uh, is played by Jim Brown.
1: Yeah, barbed wire and dirt. Um, You know This movie I was a little upset How this movie Didn't really do right By Jim Brown Who may be the greatest NFL player ever <laughs> But it just like Gives him like Cruella DeVille hair And it's just like Run Why would I want to see Jim Brown run <laughs> He really does look like The Bride of
0: Frankenstein <laughs> yeah. As he like shoots down That little tube
1: <laughs> Exactly Um, My only other big joke I have for you Is uh, It's really funny to me When you remember how much from Minnesota Jesse Ventura actually is, um, as evidenced in the line, "This is a sport of death and honor, code of the gladiators." <laughs> like the code <laughs> where there's like 20 H's behind the O.
0: Oh boy, that's funny.
1: Yeah, I mean, like this is a this is a dumb, silly movie that, like, also we have not mentioned was based on Stephen King text. <laughs> Um, but not not one that he liked enough to not publish under the name Richard Bachman. So uh, less. That's word incredible. There. Um, yeah, it's stupid. I think it is. Uh, to quote Noah, quintessential bad good.
0: You think it's bad good and not bad bad?
1: No, I think I think it's pretty entertaining. I think there are enough famous people um enough like just hyperbolic performances um maybe just because i haven't like watched and we haven't reviewed very much arnold but like him doing exposition um and of course mick Fleetwood being the leader of the resistances so fucking funny to me um yeah i'll give it a bad good
0: is this going to be the episode where i rank a or i rate a an arnold schwarzenegger movie higher than a best picture winner you tell me. It sure may. Um, yeah, I think this I agree. I think it's a it's a bad good. It's the kind of movie that would have been on the WB or TNT on a Saturday afternoon. That's quintessential bad good to me. Absolutely. Uh, but it's it's icky the way like the original RoboCops are icky. Like when a guy takes like a chainsaw to the scrotum. It's like oh, pretty Oh yeah, Jesus. Just the way that like people's eyeballs start melting in uh, RoboCop.
1: But to come back to your point and to the, the Verhoeven observation, RoboCop is such a more intellectually combative movie about what you're watching and the world and what you are quote-unquote enjoying versus what the movie says about what you might like, which is Verhoeven's whole thing with Starship Troopers and Basic Instinct and so many of his other really good movies. Um, this movie does not have those synapses firing in its like film brain like this is stupid i think it's uh,
0: criminal that we haven't done starship troopers
1: yeah we need to do more verhoven
0: yeah let's do that because I, I mean i like a good exploitation movie right. but this one's like not used for anything more than like probably should only watch tv in moderation kind of like political view right. of the world <laughs> You know, it's not that major corporations are going to set up death games for us all to feed on while the world burns outside.
1: Yeah, and unlike something like Escape from New York, where, like, you can go back and look at the roguish, like, what is a rogue a la Snake Plissken as played by Kurt Russell mean compared to, like, who we all accept as one of the most self-aggrandizing movie stars ever in Schwarzenegger? Like, it's just, it's not really, like, open for interesting debate, you know? sure yeah but but what is it 87 minutes
0: yeah and when uh dynamo gets electrocuted it's pretty hilarious
1: of course don't don't drop any water on the christmas lights costume boys and girls
0: that'll that's its only nemesis is water
1: any big questions or can we wrap it up
0: um yeah three movies with three pretty outlandish premises that i don't totally follow i don't know why quiz show led to congressional hearings other than for the aaron sorkin of it all i don't know why um this kid had to go through all these horrible things just to win a bunch of money on who wants to be a millionaire not very good american actual quiz show and i don't see a universe in which we're gonna shoot criminals through a tube and fight in our, like, you know, ungentrified neighborhoods. But I was, you know, they're movies. I like watching those.
1: Another podcast in which the movies were movies. <laughs> thanks for listening. That's li- <laughs> about the worst
0: you can say about them.
1: <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being along for the ride. It's always so fun to talk to you, Noah Ballard.
0: It's great to talk to you, too, buddy. This, uh, this show keeps me nourished.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'll take uh, seeing Ad Astra with you for 1000 please, Alex. Coming up.
0: In life's few pleasures, that is one that I'm looking forward to
1: with uh, great excitement. Hell yeah. We'll look for a podcast around that, and I'll be looking for you on the streets of New York very shortly.
0: Uh, Brothers, uh, safe travels. Can't wait. Talk to you soon.